You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to have you guys here today. It's good um, to have so many families who aren't usually with us um, to, to be here celebrating with, with family members. And um, are my in-laws in here? Are you guys in here? Here's my in-laws, by the way. This is Jerry and Connie. And today is Connie's birthday, right? She's, she's 49 years old. And... We, we love them dearly, and I'm glad that they get to uh, be here and celebrate with us. Um, if, if, you're, if you're new or just kind of joining us today, we're in a series entitled The Gospel of John. We're going through the book of John, and um, today we're in John chapter 4. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. Um, I went on a mission trip a few years ago, and I took my daughter uh, Bailey with me. She was nine at the time, and um, we, we did a lot of work in, in this country. Haiti is where we were at, and that's where we go every year um, with several different teams that we take. And and as we were in Haiti, we went to several um, little communities, and, and one community we kept going back to, and, and I remember like one of our first stops was with this older gentleman. He was in his upper 60s, probably closer to 70, and, um, and he had kind of like all of his family there. And so his wife was there, and, and you could tell he had several daughters and a couple of sons and then their kids. And so, you know, there's like, you know, 15, 20 people or so that were kind of scattered around, but there were about 10 that all just kind of sat and had a conversation with me. And, and so using a translator, I started talking about Jesus and started sharing stories with them. And um, as I did, I felt like they were just locked in on, on everything that we were talking about, especially this older gentleman. And, and so I asked if they knew Jesus, and, and his response was no. And so um, I just started sharing the gospel. And as I was kind of getting to the end of the story in the, in the gospel, I, I said, okay, you know, would you like to um, receive Christ today? And he paused for a minute. He looked up into the blue sky. It was a beautiful day. I remember it was warm and the breeze was kind of blowing. And, and he looked back down at me and he said in his broken English, I am not ready. And I thought, oh my, how can you not be ready? You know, your age is getting up there. Okay. <laughs> I don't, let's not get into this, but you don't have much longer, bro. But you know, so we're, so we're talking and, and, and so we walk away. And I'm discouraged because I'm like, come on, I'm a pastor. I should know how to close the deal, you know? I should know what to say. And I started thinking, and I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I started thinking as I walked away, I should have said this, and I should have told that story, and I wish I would have done this, and I wish, I wish, I wish, and I started, you know, second-guessing myself and my stories and what I was sharing. And, and I don't know about you, but, but maybe you've experienced that too when you are sharing your faith with somebody. You know, when you've got a friend who doesn't know Christ or you're trying to invite somebody to church, whatever it is, you're trying to communicate with them your faith and different stories. And and I just wonder, maybe you, like me, have experienced some frustration with that. Uh, You don't know quite what to say. Uh, You were kind of stumped with a question or, you know, you you walked away thinking, I wish I would have, I wish I would have. And and a lot of times when you even talk about this issue of, of sharing your faith with somebody, for some of you, beads of sweat start appearing on your forehead just thinking about it. And so because of that fear and that intimidation, a lot of times we just avoid the conversation. It's much easier to talk about sports and the weather, isn't it? It's much easier to focus on those things as opposed to our faith. And so um, I I wonder, though, I wonder if there were some easy ways for us to talk about our faith. What, What if there were some practical tips that we see in God's word that could encourage us to have conversations with, with other people. And these things would be so easy and, and, and so tangible that we could learn them and then walk out of here today and, and, and begin to do them. 
And I believe that in our text today, we're actually going to see that there are. And when we look at the life of Jesus, he has answers for every walk of life. And, and, and on this issue, when we talk about sharing our faith and, and having conversations with people, being relational with people, he's the master. I mean, he, he has it down pat. And so I want us to look at this and, and I want us to begin to dissect what it looks like to, to be on mission with God, to, to be relational with people and, and help people understand who Jesus is by our conversations and how we interact with them. So let's look at John chapter 4. Um, last week, remember, we closed the, the, the day with praying for people who we know don't know Christ. And so we stood and we prayed for them. And today, you know, we're really going to talk about how we can really begin to have a conversation with them, a deeper conversation, ongoing conversation. So let's look at John 4 verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, not only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So real quick, Jesus is gaining more disciples. More disciples than actually John the Baptist. We've talked about him the last few weeks. And so um, as a result, he starts getting more and more attention by the religious leaders. And, and he knows that, uh, you know, as he begins to get more and more attention, more and more trouble and more and more issues can begin to develop. So he was like, okay, it's time to, to move on. And so he decides to go to a city called Galilee, uh, a city we're actually going to visit this March if you're interested in going to Israel with me this spring. And so I uh, can't wait to go there and to experience that. But he's on his way to Galilee. And it says that he has to pass through Samaria. Now, what's interesting about this is, is, is that Samaria is this place that um, a lot of, of, of Jewish people hated. So like the quickest distance between two points is a straight line. And so if you're going to go from Judea to Galilee, you're going to go through Samaria. However, the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that they would go around Samaria and they would, they would actually tack on two extra days just to journey to Galilee to go around it. And so what was initially a two, two and a half day journey, they would, to avoid the Samaritans, they would, they would go four and a half, five day journey just so they wouldn't have to pass there because they hated the Samaritans. Now, why in the world did the Jewish people hate the Samaritans? Well, it's real easy. You see, the Samaritans were Alabama fans. And so they just... Just kidding. Just making sure you're, you're paying attention. Man, they squeaked one out last night. It was so lucky. Anyway, let's get back to the sermon. So it started really over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. That's how old this racial tension was. And what happened was... The Assyrians attack Jerusalem and they take almost all of the Jewish people with them back as slaves into Assyria and into Babylon. And, and as they do that, they, they left a remnant. They left some people there um, in Israel. And so some of the Assyrians and some of the Babylonians moved into that area. And what the uh, Jewish people that were left there began to do, they started to marry some of these other people. And as they intermixed with some of these other people, they also adopted some of their religious practices so the Bible was clear, like they, uh, the Jewish people were not uh, allowed to marry outside of the Jewish nation. And not because of it's a skin color thing or anything like that. It was because he knew, God knows, that when they were to begin to marry with other uh, pagan religions, 
then they would begin to adopt some of their pagan practices and worship their gods. And so that was the, that was the initial law that God wrote. And so that's why they, they weren't allowed to do it. But here these people began to do that. And sure enough, they started to worship other gods. And so about 70 years later, the Israelites were allowed to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And so you guys remember guys like Ezra and Nehemiah? They come back, they build the walls, they rebuild the city. And these people that had been left there to come over and they say, hey, we want to help build the, the wall. We want to be, you know, let's, let, let us back in. And Ezra and Nehemiah say, no, you can't because you've married outside of, of, of our race and you've started to worship other gods. So they said, fine, we'll make our own temple. We'll worship our own way. And so they go up on this mountain called Gerizim, uh, which we'll also see on our Israel trip. And then um, they built their own temple and they started worshiping there. So that's the background. And so fast forward, you know, 700 plus years to this day with Jesus and the racial tension and the hatred and the animosity had grown between these people so much so that they don't even want to cross into their area. They don't want to talk to, they don't want to intermingle with. And so this is what's interesting. Let's read verses seven and following. Now, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus is on the journey. Disciples go ahead into town to get some food. Jesus hangs out and waits. And what's interesting here is as he's waiting, this woman comes and it said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples has gone uh, away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So here's the tension. Here's the racial tension. She understands that you are a Jewish man and you are talking to me a Samaritan. So the tension was there. Earlier on in the verses, we hear that Jesus had to pass through Samaria in verse 4. Now, does he have to do this? Well, he could have gone around like most of the Jews would have done at that time, but he had to. Why? He had to because he knew there was a person that he had to meet. He knew that there was a community of people that needed the gospel. And so here's the point. Jesus is all about breaking down racial barriers. He's all about destroying the walls that we build up, the animosity that we build up because they look different than us, they act different than us, they don't have the same amount of money as we do, they come from a different area, they speak differently than we do, and, and, and on and on and on, the tensions rise in our lives. And Jesus says, and he comes on the scene and he says, no, I'll have none of this. I'm breaking down every barrier, every, every wall that you would build up between racism, between um, uh, ethnicities and all these different things. And so don't miss the, the, the reality that Jesus is about destroying these and that as believers, we should be on the forefront in our country and in our community breaking down these barriers as well. And some of you fight that tension and, and you fight how maybe you were brought up to, and, and to have maybe some racial feelings. And so you, you've used terms and you've used uh, language inappropriate and, and, and that would directly contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, would, would sadden the heart of Jesus. And as a, as, a, as a church, we should be on the forefront in this city, um, breaking down those barriers, just like Jesus would seek to do in our uh, uh, community, in, in his community. So... Here's the first point I want you to gather. Uh, several points as we look through this, as we uh, relate it to having conversations and, and sharing our faith. And the first one is this. Jesus is caring because he engages in conversation with all kinds of people. So for him, it didn't matter what you look like, 
where you came from, what color your skin was, how you spoke. For him, it, it did not matter. He, he cared about all people. And so he was willing to engage all people in conversations. Now, now here's the point. Jesus spent a lot of time dealing with the types of people that a lot of us in this room spend a lot of time trying to avoid. We need to let that sink in today. Because the people that he spent time with, the people that he ministered to, are the exact people that you walk away from. And then I'm a little intimidated to be around. And that should challenge us today. If we're going to model him, and if we're going to walk like Jesus walks, and if we're going to do the things that Jesus does, we're going to begin to adopt some of the, the priorities that Jesus had. So here's, here's another thing to take away from this. Jesus is on um, a journey to go to Galilee. So he has a task. He has a goal. And yet as he is journeying and as he's going, um, it, he, he's very aware of what's going on around him. And so he takes time to have conversations with people about faith. I mean, this is huge. I have a task. I have something that I need to do. And yet as I'm going, as I'm, I'm, as I'm living my life, I'm able to take time to be able to invest in other people. I'm, I'm, I'm taking time to share my faith and have a conversation with them. Now, here's why I mention this, because in our world... In our culture, we're so fast-paced that we have our to-do list, we have our punch list, our task, we have, we have apps to, you know, to monitor our task, we have apps to monitor our apps that monitor our apps for our task, and so we're, we're super organized, we got stuff to do, right? And as we are doing this stuff, we are so, our, our, our tendency is, is, is to put our nose to the ground. And, and, and to move forward and get our stuff done because I've got to do this, I've got work, and I've got the kids stuff, and I've got to do this. And, and if we're so focused on the task, we'll miss the relational opportunities that God has around us. And so, so Jesus never allowed the task to trump the relationship. And we, we have to be aware of that today. Uh, because God has divine appointments is what I would call them. Appointments for you to meet other people, um, people maybe from your past or people that you haven't met. And God's going to intersect your, your, your worlds this week. And he does it all the time. And, and, and for us, are we going to make ourselves aware of that? Are we going to care enough for people to slow down, realize that my to-do list can wait as I share my faith and as I deal with this person? Jesus is caring and he engages all people in conversations. Let's continue. Verse 10. Now, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Now, she doesn't get this, but what Jesus is saying here is, lady, I've got, I, I have a way to meet every single need in your life. You're here for some water, right? You're here to get, get, get some water, but as you're, as you're getting this water, I know that's going to meet your physical need, but you're going to drink that water and you're going to get thirsty after an hour or two, and you're going to need to drink water again. But Jesus is saying, essentially, I have every need that you will ever have. I, I can meet and satisfy every desire and craving that your life will ever experience. And as a matter of fact, he's saying, look, I created you to desire these things, but I've also created you in such a way that I am the only person that can fulfill them. He says, I have living water for you. Now, what's interesting about this lady as well is we, we kind of putting two and two together, we can kind of figure that she was a social outcast. 
Because you didn't come in the evening at the sixth hour, that's later in the afternoon for water. They usually went in the morning uh, to, to, to get water at the well. And they also, as, as women, they would go as groups. You would never just go on your own. And so that, plus the fact we're going to learn that she has five husbands, she's living with a dude she's not married with now, she more than likely is a social outcast. So once again, we're, we're looking at this lady through the eyes of Jesus and realizing that, that, that he's going to spend time with people that a lot of times we would try to avoid. So here's what happens next. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? In other words, Jesus, you don't have a bucket. Okay. How are you going to get this water for me? Obviously she doesn't have a clue. Verse 12, are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Here it is. Like every need that you brought into this room today, every need, every hang up, every empty part of your heart today, Jesus says, I can satisfy that need. I can satisfy that desire. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give uh, him will be, become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. In verse 15, she says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. <laughs> I'll have some of that, please. And, and what's interesting is she still doesn't get it. She still doesn't understand what it is he is actually offering her at this time. Um, for us, we have to realize that as, as Jesus is, 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 is ministering to her, he's caring about her, he's loving on her, he's, 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 he's engaging in her. And then the next part of the story is where it gets a little bit more uncomfortable. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, um, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is, in your, is, is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, here's the point, and, and this is important. Like, Jesus is honest because he addresses her sin. And that's an important point to write down today. He, he's honest because he addresses her sin. You know, we live in a, in a culture, we live in an area where, you know, sometimes it's offensive to talk about sin and so we back away from it, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that if you're a Seinfeld fan, you know. And so if we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to step on anybody's toes, especially in the South. We're very against like talking about what, what's right and what's wrong. And so what we have to do as believers, if we're going to make a difference and begin to impact our city and our culture, is that we're going to have to be open and honest about what is right and what is wrong. And we're going to have to do it in such a way that people will have a conversation with us. If you walk around with a sign that says God hates and you fill in the blank, you are not doing justice to the gospel. If you are standing on a soapbox saying God's going to kill the blasphemer and, you know, it's like we're not being effective in, in, our, in our world. And so what we see Jesus do here is something that you and I need to, to, to take to heart. And that is this, like Jesus is relational because he asks great questions. He asked great questions. 
And so if you want to, if you want to influence people around you, you know, I'm not saying, you know, claim every sin in their life and point your finger at them. I'm saying uh, what, do what Jesus did, which is be relational with them, develop a relationship with people, and begin to ask them great questions. So how's that fifth husband thing working out for you? You know, not too good. You know, I wonder why you, I wonder why you've gone through five husbands. You know, let's talk about that, you know. And, 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 and so we're, we're aware that, that in conversations and through great questions, we can have dialogue with people. And that's what we want. We want to keep the door open. If you slam it shut by, by, by you know, slamming a Bible down and yelling at somebody about something, then the, the relationship door is closed. And so you want to keep that door open and, and speak truth in love. And, and this lady, I mean, she has no clue what she just walked into, you know. I mean, she has no clue. She's like, give me some of this water, and, you know, and I'll, I'll have some. And Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. Oh, you know, she's like, well, I'm not, I, I don't have a husband. She's like, Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You don't, you don't have one now. You, you, you've actually had five, and the dude you're living with now that you're shacking up with, he's not your husband either. Now, have you ever just walked into something like that? Like you're in your marriage, guys, we do this all the time. We, you know, we're, our, our, we can tell, it's like our spider senses are going off, you know, Spider-Man, like he can tell when danger is coming. And so his spider sense goes off and then he saves the day, he saves the whatever, and he blocks the, blocks the evil enemy, you know, from killing him. It's like, we can tell when something bad is about to happen. And our, our wife is asking us about something and we're like, oh, everything is starting to get tense. I mean, she, she has no clue that she's walking in. To this, Jesus has totally set set her up for this. I remember I was uh, on. Uh, I took a group of kids to summer camp this past year. Our kids here uh, from FC, and so we had these kids, and uh, my wife and I went, and so I had all these all these kids one night after an awesome day, and and so I was excited, and I was like, guys, listen, you know, these are third, fourth, and fifth graders, and so I'm like, listen, God loves you guys, and and He's pursuing you. That means He He is always you know pursuing you, and He wants to. Um, uh, he, he wants you to know him, and he's, he's working in your life, and, and he wants to do great things, and, and God, God is doing this all the time. He never gets tired. My son Bryson said, he, he's in third grade at the time, he said, yeah, well, God, he does get tired sometimes, Dad, right? I said, no, Bryson, God never gets tired. He is so powerful and awesome that he never sleeps, and he never takes a break. And he said, well, God rested on the seventh day, didn't he, Dad? <laughs> I said, shut up, son. <laughs> and said, Good question. Yeah, we, she walked right into that one, just like I walked into that one, right? Like, she walked right into it, and then immediately when she's confronted with her sin, what does she do? She does what you and I do when we're confronted with our sin. Change the subject. <laughs> let's read. Let's, let's see what she does. She says, go call your husband. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> our fathers... Worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. <laughs> what a great strategy. Guys, if you're married, this is a great strategy. When your wife confronts you about something, just change the subject. See if she even notices, you know? So, so not only does she change the subject, but she actually, I, I think there's something to be said about the history between the Jews and the Samaritans and, and what she's pointing to. Because she's pointing to worship. She's saying, you guys are saying we have to worship here, but, but our people worship here. We're not allowed to worship there. 
You know, you, you kicked us out. You didn't want us there. You said we were, we were wrong, so we're worshiping you. So where, where's the right place to worship? And, and so the, the question quickly changes from my personal sin, because who wants to talk about, you know, their marriage problems with Jesus? Because, like, like he knows everything. It's like, well, my wife is really, no, it's not true. You're the loser. You're the one that, oh, man. You know, so he knows the truth. So you know, we don't want to focus on that. We don't want to focus on our problem. What we want to do is we want to deflect. And we do that all the time too. In our marriage, at work, somebody confronts us about doing something and instead of owning it in our own personal walk, we, we, we deflect it. And, and deflecting means I blame you for, like my wife's blaming me for not taking her out on dates and I'm blaming her uh, you know, for spending all our money on other things so I can't afford to take you out on dates. You know, and so the tit for tat goes back and forth and nobody owns the issue and the problem. It's a deflection off of, so I don't feel guilty and so that I don't feel bad, I'm going to deflect it back onto you and change the subject and never really deal with the problems. And, and so that's exactly, because nobody wants to feel guilty, do they? I don't want, as soon as I feel guilty, I'm going to start blaming other people and pointing at, you know, at, at other people. And, and, and that's what she's doing here. She's pointing, hey, you guys don't let us worship. And I don't want to talk about my sin anymore. Let's talk and change the subject. But Jesus goes along with it. He, he's relational. He asks great questions. And so he, he, doesn't, he, you know, he, he doesn't get upset with her. He just carries the conversation. And here's what I would say. The next point is this. And this is what we're going to read in the next, next few verses. That Jesus is wise because he doesn't argue with her. He's wise because he doesn't argue with her. He could have said, yeah, well, if your ancestors hadn't have married all those other people... And if you hadn't have, you know, worshipped other gods, you wouldn't have been in that situation and, and just kind of, you know, pointed all the ways that she messed up over the course of her life. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't engage her um, in, in an argument. And so that's, again, what I, wanna, I want you guys as you're talking to people about your faith. Realize that you've got to care about people in conversations. Realize that it's okay to you know, talk about what sin is and, and what the Bible calls sin and, and realizing that, man, I'm still a sinner as well. And so this is what I struggle with. And, and, and so keeping that conversation door open and then also realizing, well, I'm not going to get in an argument with you because arguing with somebody about a specific sin who is not a believer is just going to give them more fuel to hate the church, you know? And so I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to share with you in love what, what the scripture says. And, and uh, honestly, it's going to make people upset. And, and, and all they're going to want to argue. And so you're going to have to, you're going to, have to really own that and say, you know, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive into to, to that argument. I'm just going to, in love, um, continue this conversation and in love, continue our relationship. Um, and so Jesus is wise. He doesn't engage in that. The woman said, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that it's in Jerusalem. That's the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, verse 21, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So remember when Jesus uses the word the hour in the Gospel of John, he's referring to the hour of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We talked about that several weeks ago when, when Jesus turned water into wine. So this is the hour that he's talking about. When this happens, he's saying, you will worship um, uh, like the place doesn't matter. On this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
So if you're taking notes, here's the next thing that Jesus does. He's intentional because he brings the conversation to the gospel. He brings the conversation to the gospel. This is her real need. Her real need is to understand salvation. Her real need is to understand that he can give living water that wells up for and into eternal life. You see, everyone has felt needs. Felt needs are things like, I'm hungry, feed me. I need clothes, put clothes on me. Uh, my marriage stinks, help me. My, uh, my bank account uh, is low, you know, help me. So we all have these perceived felt needs of, and, and we want things fixed. And we think, you know, if it's a financial need, if I just made more money, then I would, I would have this problem fixed. Or if my wife would stop doing this or my husband would stop doing this, then we'd have a, very, a better marriage. And so we see those felt needs. And, and as we express those felt needs, we think that's the ultimate answer. But what we have to realize, and this is what Jesus realizes, is that her felt need of needing a drink of water is only a physical need. Her ultimate need is her spiritual need. So her spiritual need to understand and know the gospel. And so understanding and knowing our spiritual need and knowing that the gospel has the answers for us in all situations. So if it's finances, then if I understand how God wants me to prioritize and organize my finances, then that begins to solve the problem, not more money. When I understand the gospel in light of my marriage, I realize that I'm a sinner married to a sinner. And it's not because she's a bad person or because I'm, I'm not the right man for her, but that we're two very seriously selfish people. And as I understand the gospel in Jesus and I become more like him and I begin to die to myself, then we become closer together and then our marriage uh, begins to be healed and, and, and healthy. But see, we always want the surface lover felt need, you know, fixed and addressed. But Jesus wants us to go to the gospel so I say that because this, you're going to have friends who have needs and, and they have problems and, and they're going to want you to give them this advice that's going to fix it. But you, you may have great advice on how to fix different things in their, in, in their marriage and in their life. And those are all great things to talk about. But at the end of the day, we've got to model Jesus and realize that we have to be intentional about connecting them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just enough to be friends with them. It's not enough for them just to see that you're, you know, living a good life. It's not enough just to feed them. It's not enough just to, you know, uh, give them some clothes. It, it, it must point them to the gospel. We must have that conversation uh, or we're, we truly don't love them. I mean, it, it must get to that point. And so Jesus goes to this conversation that she wants to go to about worship. And, and her conversation begins with, you guys say we're supposed to worship there, but my people say we're supposed to worship here. So where do we worship? So for her, the, the concept of worship had to do with a place. And Jesus said, I'm getting ready to blow up that concept because it's not just in the synagogue that you're going to worship. It's not just in the church. It's not just in a specific place. When I die, when I am buried, when I am resurrected, worship happens anywhere. Worship happens everywhere. And so it's not the place that's the most important thing. It, it's who we are worshiping that he wants us to focus on. And so when we gather for our, our Sunday morning experience, you know, we have an opportunity to worship God here today. 
We, we come to, to sing, but singing isn't all that worship is. It's a component of it. Uh, we have an opportunity to give. It's not all of, of what worship is, but it's a component of it. We listen to the, the preaching of God's word, and so that's not all of worship, but it's a component. Are we listening and engaging? And, and so what, what he points her to is worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he says, God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Because both are essential when worship is at stake. Um, all of us are worshipers, by the way. Nobody in here needs to get uh, better at worshiping. Like, everybody in here is awesome at worship. We were created to worship. We worship sports. We worship our kids. We worship our spouse. We worship money. Um, and essentially, how we discover what we are worshiping uh, is very easy. We just look at where we're spending our time where we're spending our money, and who gets to use our gifts and our, our, our talents. And so when I look at that, who, who's receiving my gifts and my talents? Well, my, my company is. Well, who's getting my money? Well, I'm getting my money, and I'm giving some to my kids because I like to give them stuff. And, 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 and you know, so my talents and my money, and, and, and so my treasures and my skills are all going towards me, then, then maybe I'm going to discover that I'm worshiping me. And so we want to look at that and realize, have we created any margin in our life to give God our talents, to use them for the kingdom? Are we given any margin in our life to where we're giving a percentage to God to honor him with our wealth? And so understanding what, what worship is and who we are worshiping is an important part of, of following Christ. Our time, our talents, and our treasure all point us to who or what we're worshiping. And so Jesus says, look, when we think about worship, we have to understand that worship must be accurate. You know, and accurate in the sense that it's, it's based on the truth of Scripture. He says worship in spirit and in truth. And so if we're going to worship in truth, then we're going to worship based upon the concepts and the principles of God's truth. And so you, you might be the most excited, passionate worshiper of all time. But if you're worshiping sports, wrong God. If you're worshiping Muhammad, wrong God, Right? So that's not truth. The truth as revealed in God's word is truthful and accurate worship. This woman wanted to argue about place, but where you worship is not as important as why you worship or how much you worship. And so Jesus takes that true worship and, and, and says, yeah, it's got to be in truth, but he also says it's got to be genuine. It's got to be spirit-led. So, so it's, it's worshiping in spirit. And so, so my spirit is engaged in it. So there's passion there. There's, there's, there's energy there. there. There's a genuineness there. God designed your spirit and my spirit to communicate with him. And so as I think through what it looks like to engage him spiritually, I'm, I'm thinking about how my emotions are affected. Because when I know who God is and I'm worshiping God, my emotions and who I, who I am engage with this God. And so, you know, some of you grew up in churches where people kick their shoes off and run up and down the halls and that kind of stuff and jumped into baptism. You know, that'd be crazy if that happened here. Um, you know, and so I'm not saying that. Um, if you want to go home and run around your neighborhood for the glory of Jesus, that's fine. But what I'm saying is that, we, that would connect us back to the truth that we have to be careful about. Um, so we want to do it uh, accurately, but we also want to do it with, with our emotions. And so in worship, um, at, from time to time, God engages our emotions. And if we are engaged with him and worshiping in spirit, then, then emotionally, sometimes it brings us to tears. 
You know, sometimes it, it brings us to raise our hands as an act of surrender to God, just to say, yes, I, am, I worship you and I am, I'm here for you. Sometimes it leads us to just bow down in, in, in prayer. And, and so um, what, what happens when we worship is we respond to our God. So if we're walking into this experience week after week and we're, we don't engage our emotions at all, so like we're hardly singing, our emotions aren't really connecting, we're not, we're not like engaging in God's word and the truth, we've never taken a note, we've never lifted you know, our voices, and, 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 and we're not engaging, then I would say God is looking for true worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And, and so I'm not saying that it's always in, you know, something that attracts attention to us, but I'm saying it's a response. Based on your personality, that response is going to be different from this person to that person, you know. Some people are more introverted and, 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 and kind of, you know, private, but it's still going to lead you to some form of worship that should be expressed with your body. Your emotions are engaged. And some of you are the opposite end of that spectrum, and you get, you cry, you know, when, when commercials about sports come on or whatever. That new LeBron commercial, every time it comes on, I'm just like... <laughs> Let's go Cleveland, you know, but, but, you know, that's just the difference in people, what, what excites you. But at the end of the day, worship in spirit and in truth should be genuine. It should move us into action. Psalm 77 says, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. So when you think about worship, there's this, a thoughtfulness that takes place as well. So when we're listening to sermons, when we're reading books, when we're reading the Bible, there's a thoughtfulness. I'm thinking about Jesus. If we're, if we're singing a song um, and, and we are worshiping God, all I am, God, I give to you, but we're thinking about where we're going to eat, that is not genuine worship. So we should be thoughtful. We should meditate and, and, and think about who he is and, and understand who he is. Matthew 15, 8 says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And unfortunately, we just have way too many people in our cities Way too many people that would claim the name of Jesus, that would give Jesus lip service, you know, as it relates on a hot topic that they're passionate about. And they would, they would honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And their worship is not genuine. It is, it is not real in their lives. The woman replies in verse 25. She's like, yeah, I know that the Messiah is coming. They're going to call him the Christ. I don't know if you've heard about this guy. That's Messiah with an M. And so he's coming. And uh, when he gets here, he's going to tell us about things like this. So I enjoy the conversation, sir. But I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to just kind of call a timeout now. And thank you for this. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You could have heard cric crickets chirping at that point, right? I mean, can you imagine like this subtle, like cold chill coming over her as Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah for the first time in the Gospel of John, by the way, to a Samaritan woman breaking down racial barriers. I love it. Jesus says, I'm the guy that you're talking about. Now, at this point, she doesn't say, oh, well, if I'm falling on my face to worship you, Jesus. The Bible says, and we'll talk, pick it up next week, but the Bible says that she goes back. It doesn't say specifically what she does at that point. And it's almost like the guy in my story at the beginning of the sermon, like he heard the message of the gospel and yet he said, not today, I'm not ready. And maybe that's kind of her response because it doesn't say later on some Samaritans accept Christ and we hope and I think that she is at that point, but we don't know right now. And it's, it's almost like procrastination 
to do what God is calling us to do, it, it might be the biggest sin that the, that the enemy leads us to do on a daily basis, you know? It could be the most distracting and the most obvious and the most powerful sin that the enemy leads or tempts us to do every day, and that is to procrastinate what God wants us to do. And we over-spiritualize it by saying we're praying about it. I'm, I'm seeking counsel. It's been two years. Decide already, right? When are you going to follow Jesus? There's a lot of students in the room, so if you're in college or high school, like if you have a test tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you haven't studied yet, and you're not going to study until about 1 a.m. tonight, that's procrastination, right? So when we put off today what, what we think we can do later on or tomorrow, and, and, and so procrastination is a huge uh, part of, of, of sin in our life that, that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, procrastinating, talking to somebody about our faith. Some of you have never accepted Christ today, and so you're, you're procrastinating that decision in your life, and you're, and you're just kind of saying, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do it today, but maybe one day when this lines up and that lines up. Some of you have never been baptized, and so you, you've continued to put that off. Oh, maybe one day, but you know, today's not the right day. It's like, how much longer? We don't, we're, we're never promised tomorrow in the Bible. We have thousands of promises in God's word, but we're never promised tomorrow. Like, how long are we going to put off connecting in a group? How long are we going to put off connecting in ministry and, and start serving? We, we feel like every star in the universe has to be aligned in just the right way. We have to have X amount of dollars in the bank account. We have to have X amount of time in our week when nobody's playing sports and nobody's doing this so that we can finally do what God is calling us to do. That's procrastination. I believe it's a sin. When God is asking you to do something and you put it off, that is sin. And, and God wants us to, to lead in our obedience. So I don't, I don't know where you're at. I, I know Jesus is, is, is caring enough to have conversations with people. And some of you are, are too selfish in, in your own world, not caring enough to have the conversation. You feel like it depends on you when it really is about what God is doing in other people. And he's just going to use you. To say things you never thought you would say and to do things you never thought you would do. So we've got to care for people. We've got to be honest with people and call sin, call sin, sin. I mean, we've got to call a spade a spade. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat that in somebody's life because I believe it's killing them and it's hurting them and it's, it's destroying what, uh, the work that God wants to do in their life. We've got to be relational. Our mission statement is, is, is to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments so we've got to be relational with people as Jesus was and, and model that in our life. And we've got to be intentional about connecting people to the gospel and be wise about getting into arguments with people that um, aren't going to lead to anywhere healthy. And so I don't know where you're at and, and what you're dealing with, but I do know God's calling us to be relational with people and connect them to the gospel. And so as you go, as you live life, um, let's make disciples together and allow God to use us in ways we never thought he would use us. Thank you for listening. For more information about Foothills Church, you can be found online at